This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to trek of m's dedicated books and comic show bruce what are you what are you doing right outside my like legitimately right outside my room why why bruce yeah how's it going I'm man right outside your door right outside your room actually i'm right outside your bathroom too that's yeah creepy. yeah it is kind of creepy well uh, you said i'm a just... jet setter you did say that last episode <laughs> That is true. We did say you're just there. And and before everybody's like really weird, Bruce, you're here on business and, and we needed to record a show so everybody could get a show. And uh, just so the audio will sound right, you're sitting outside the room. I'm sitting inside the room. and But it's great to have you here. Yeah, I didn't want to offend you. Uh, the reason I'm sitting outside the room is because it kind of stinks in there. So I decided to come out oh, in the hall okay, and sit by the bathroom. I, I see. I see how we're going to play this. Uh, you know, just because I had a rotting Klingon in my room earlier, just, geez. No, it doesn't sink. But I, I will say this to everybody who's listening. Matthew's got a great collection of stuff. Now, I mean, I've, I've seen it on video from when we record the podcast, but just to walk around the room and look at stuff, it, it goes beyond the room, too. So he's got a great collection of stuff. Star Trek, Wars, Harry Potter, everything. Dan, and you couldn't make it, which is so sad. We could have had a wonderful experience together, but um, yeah, Canada's a lot farther away than we thought. That's true. Man, I, I do have to say I'm really envious of you guys getting to hang out together there. Uh, although if I were there, I'd probably have to just record in the bathroom, I guess. I, <laughs> I probably would, uh, which talk about awkward. There's, there's um, a place to sit in there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Often considered the most comfortable seat in the house. So <laughs> it would be Dan's throne. Oh gosh. Well, before we get way off the rails uh, into potty humor, I think that uh, train has sailed. We Matthew. do have, yeah, pretty much. Uh, everybody's like, "What is going on in this episode of Literary Treks?" We Again. do have news to talk about, uh, and we had a great new book come out, "Strange New Worlds," 2016. And Bruce, I know on your way up to see me. You were already reading this. How did you know that? Did you see that on Goodreads? you put it on Goodreads? <laughs> yes, I've read the first two stories. The first one is a original series story featuring Harry Mudd. And then the second one is a Next Generation story featuring Q. And it's kind of a Christmas story. You know, like a Christmas carol. I'll just say that. So, a Christmas so far, Q? Hmm? What's that? A Christmas Q? It's a Christmas Q. And it's definitely, uh, I can say for the first two stories, they're definitely worth the read. So I can't wait to delve into the other stories that are in this book. Excellent. Awesome. Dan, have you uh, gotten to start this one yet or pick this one up yet? I haven't actually started it yet. I do really love the Strange New Worlds books, and I'm just absolutely stoked that they brought it back for the 50th anniversary. Uh, so yeah, I'm. this is on my list. I'm really excited to get to it for sure, so... Yeah. Well, and of course, uh, that's the big thing here. You know, if if people want more of Strange New Worlds, you really need to buy it. Uh, that's the reason that it is only in ebook format right now. So uh, they may, depending on how the ebook sells, they may publish it in hardcover. Well, not really hardcover, but in softcover uh, in a paperback edition. So, you know, if, if you love this type of material, if you love seeing what fans come up with, this is your opportunity to really support that. And, you know, 
we have had some of these authors go on to actually write other Star Trek books. And so this is a great way to find new talent as well and, and to support them and see if, you know, Pocket might find somebody that they want to add to the list of their fantastic authors. So mm-hmm. I think this is really exciting. I'm really glad that they're going back to do this and, and hopefully it'll be something that the fans do support so we can get more of. Here, here. And I mean, I'm sure we have some budding writers in our audience listening right now. So if you want the opportunity to enter this contest again in the future. You know, there's a great reason right there to pick this up. You know, let's get Strange New Worlds back as a regular feature. I think that would just be phenomenal. It really would. So, uh, well, guys, we're super excited to, to be here. Uh, I'm so excited to have Bruce here. I'm kind of forgetting how we do this show. But uh, just a couple of things. Obviously, you can find us on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're a feature provider there. You know, give us a star rating and review while you're there. It's been a while since we had some feedback from listeners that way and just really helps us grow as a show. So make sure you do that while you're there. We really appreciate it. And of course, uh, we love getting to mention the people that give us reviews. So if we get some new ones, we'll be able to give you a shout out here on the show. Uh, Dan, uh, they can also find us on Goodreads, too. Uh, Tell everybody why they should go over to Goodreads. Well, Matthew, a very, very great reason to go over to Goodreads is to keep track of all of the books and comics that we're reading for the show. We read a ton of different things for this show, and it's really easy to kind of lose where we are and, and what you should be reading next. But at Goodreads, we have a number of different uh, bookshelves in our Goodreads group there for literary treks. You can keep track of all of the books we've read for past episodes if you're getting caught up. And we've also got a bookshelf there where we have all of the books and comics that are in upcoming episodes. So you can get ahead of the game and keep up with us here on the show. Well, and then Bruce, we're on Facebook and Twitter. So if everybody wants to check us out there, where should they go? You can go to Facebook and you can find us in the Babel Conference. That's one place. It's a private group that you can join and uh, talk to other Trek FM listeners. Or you can just look at uh, Facebook.com slash Trek FM for the main page or go to Twitter at Trek FM. And I hope they will. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have any more news for you, but we're going to dive into something that I'm really excited about. We're covering the first book of the Prey trilogy, Hell's Heart Tonight. So, guys... I think it's time to head to Kronos. Sounds good to me. Well, we got a chance uh, just a few weeks ago, guys, to talk to John Jackson Miller. And uh, I I don't know about you, but talking to him, he completely hyped up this even more for me. I was so excited to be diving into the series. And I kind of just wanted to start with y'all as we dive into the series here. There seemed to be, to me, some really interesting story inspirations that I was picking up on. And... uh, I know Bruce and Dan, you guys actually both mentioned the same one as we were talking together on Facebook today, Uh, and it's somebody that we're pretty familiar with. Yeah, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's Khan. Wait, you meant Sherlock? (laughs) No, we're talking Khan, because what we have here is we have a group of Klingons that settle on a world and establish their own society that... The Federation, well, more Spock, in a sense, kind of helps them establish uh, a home on this planet. And the Federation doesn't come back to check on them. And haven't we learned from Khan that if we leave a space seed and that seed grows into something, that we should probably check on it? (laughs) It might be interesting to come back in a hundred years and see what seed has sprung. Or, you know, not. Whatever. I mean, we got busy. You know, there's other like stuff saving the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gosh, we didn't really think they were going to turn into people that bad. I mean, so um, it was really interesting when you guys mentioned that because it was something that I had been seeing a little bit as well. And then coupled with what I was seeing, I thought it was really interesting. So the storyline that we're getting here is Korg, and he has been hiding himself as the person who is the legitimate heir to Krug from Star Trek Three, who died on the planet fighting Kirk, fiery death. Um, or did and, he? Yes, he did. Or did he? You never know. <laughs> I, I mean, you never know. So 
he's been hiding himself amongst the the other nobles who have been fighting over this house and slowly working his way for over a hundred years to unleash his plan of basically finding a way to take over the Klingon Empire uh, and bring it back to the old ways. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, this just sounded like the Phantom Menace. Hmm. Which I thought was really interesting that you were taking the idea of the Khan story and the Phantom Menace story and putting them together. What we have here is the Wrath of the Phantom Klingon. Okay, as far as titles go, that's pretty cool. I would definitely read that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, did you did y'all? I mean, when I mentioned that, did you already pick up on that? Did you see that at all, or is that something you're like, oh yeah, I see that now? Yeah, no, I mean that makes sense. I hadn't really thought of that, um, but yeah, no, it's very true. There's kind of this uh, secret plan, you know. That's kind of what this whole story is based upon: is you know manipulating things from behind the scenes, people who aren't really who they seem and yeah that's a lot a lot of that from the star wars prequel trilogy that's that's a very uh prevalent thing in that and that makes a lot of sense i also the con thing which i thought was really interesting i think there's a concerted effort by the author to draw those parallels here spock does kind of mention it a little bit at one time when they're when he's talking yeah. with kirk and even the title of the book, Hell's Heart, I mean, immediately you think, from hell's heart, I stab at thee. You know, so, it, you know, you're already kind of going into it with uh, Colin on the he brain. He tasks me. <laughs> he tasks me and I shall have him. <laughs> Excellent. I didn't pick up, uh, I didn't think about the Phantom Menace uh, parallel that you mentioned, but it, it does make a lot of sense. I... It and maybe it didn't dawn on me because I don't think that crew like a new dawn, a new dawn, that's a Star Wars reference, uh, and a John Jackson Miller reference. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's that's very true. But I didn't think that he um, that Krug is as calculating quite as much as maybe the Emperor in uh, Star Wars with the Phantom Menace and the fact that I don't think I think Krug wanted to get in a sense, revenge on the Federation and uh, also uh, get his title over the house of Krug. But I, I don't think that came till later. I think he didn't really have a plan until maybe 50 years or so later. That was like the impression I got. So, um, but I think that gave him, of course, a half century to really finalize what he needed to do to make something happen. And that's, without going into detail, that's what we get into in this book later on is just how he's manipulating things and how he's pulling the strings. No, I, I completely agree with you. And you're right. Uh, the, the plan isn't as long as, you know, the Sith being in hiding for a thousand years. But it, I mean, in Star Trek time, when we're not dealing with <laughs> that long, it, it really does. It, it has kind of that feeling. I think it, and it makes sense, you know, John Jackson Miller having worked in Star Wars a lot and loving Star Trek. And, and you know, what I thought about this series, and I think it's really interesting, is that I almost feel like John Jackson Miller, to me, is bringing a, a little bit of Star Wars sensibility into the Star Trek the, the way that J.J. did. And I'm loving it because I feel like this story, just in general, when we're talking about story inspiration, it feels inspirational. It just feels epic and large but it does, I think, really fit with what we know of Star Trek. And we've seen a lot of Klingon stuff, but I don't, I don't feel like it just, we've, we're so diving in to the Klingon Empire here. It, it also feels like the inspiration for this was almost a, a Klingon house of cards. Mm, yeah. You know, because there's a lot of political intrigue in this story. And that was really interesting as well because, you know, we've seen bits and pieces of that, obviously, in the series, but we're really getting into all of those ideas here as well. And I think it's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if uh, the stuff we get with the Federation government is uh, the West Wing, the Klingon government in this book is definitely House of Cards. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says well, and for Krug House of is cards, like but Frank Underhill. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and there are some cards that play a part in this <laughs> in the book, but they're not the House of Cards. But I don't I don't watch the House of Cards, so I can't really comment on that. I'm somewhat familiar with the show. But what I really enjoy about the book is the fact that we're connecting 
we're giving more to Krug's character because, you know, in Star Trek three, I think he, you know, he's a fine Klingon. We don't have a lot of history with him and, and, you know, he, he, he's after Kirk, he kills Kirk's son and then, you know, he dies. But now we're getting, you know, that he has this house and that has a, he has a prominent reputation in the Klingon empire. And so we see that it wasn't just him and the people on his ship, but he's got like this whole house of people and, and, and these other members that are outside of his house that are helping him. And so we're taking that group of people and creating a story around them. And I thought that was fascinating. It really added a lot to his character to the point that when I go back and I'm going to watch Star Trek three, I'm curious to see if I'm going to look at it a little differently, at least for Krug's character. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, John Jackson Miller picks up, you know, some very small pieces and crafts this really interesting backstory and tale for this character. And I always kind of wondered about that character because, and I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any other Klingon commander was referred to as my Lord by all of his underlings all the time. That's something I always really noticed about Star Trek three. Like what's with this guy? He seems like my Lord and everyone's calling him that. And I, I don't recall that. So, you know, it's really interesting that, John Jackson Miller has been able to kind of provide an explanation for that and show that he is really this prominent or sorry, was this prominent Klingon. Well, and I think what's what's really fascinating about it, too, is the way that I think Miller is using Star Trek three. He's using Star Trek six. He's uh, using all of these little pieces throughout to create this new story in the 24th century, but it also has links to the 23rd century. And what I liked was uh, jumping in, I think, a little bit to the way in which that 23rd century built upon what Kirk was going through right after Star Trek III and the death of his son. And I thought that Miller just nailed the character of Kirk and how... The, the pain is just kind of oozing out of him, you know. Um, and, and for me, what was happening here was going to almost remind me of why Kirk would say, you know, in Star Trek V, I need my pain, you know. Like, I, the pain makes him who he is. And here it's just so raw and so real. And it's led him to, you know, this this new prejudice that will kind of continue to build a little bit. Um, it, it seems like it takes a little bit of a sidetrack in Star Trek V, but uh, I just, I really thought that Miller did a fantastic job of creating Kirk just a little bit beyond three. And, and this is what I think is so rich about the movie time period and why I would love to have more movie series books is because there's so much you can continue to explore with these characters. And I think... You know, in the, I guess, what, probably a third of the book, maybe? A little less than a third of the book is, is in the 23rd century. Mm-hmm. It's it, it really adds a lot to those characters, uh, especially Kirk. And to add something to Kirk at this point in time uh, with so many books, it's, to me, is phenomenal. Well, because Kirk's pain of his son being killed comes from Star Trek Three, but that wasn't really referenced and referred to in Star Trek four and five it wasn't until we got to six that we go back and reference that so it is good to see that this is being referenced pre undiscovered country and kirks has this pain and 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 this distrust for klingons and we and we and we see that growing in him we see it festering in him but at the same time it's interesting because spock is the opposite spock is actually wanting to help the klingons so we have kirk that's not in favor of Klingons, and we have Spock that's like, no, we should help Klingons. And so we also see the evolution of Spock going into that role of being an eventual ambassador and helping other Klingons. And this is a great segue going into the undiscovered country. So I like that element too with Spock. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was almost a little painful, and I think intentionally so, to see Kirk and Spock at such odds in this. And I mean, they don't, they don't, outright argue or or you know come to some sort of uh you know actual fight over this but you can tell there's a tension there that's really interesting to explore and you know it was it was a little bit tough because these two are such good friends and to see kirk kind of in this painful place and 
you know, not dealing with it maybe in the best way, but being very human about it. And Spock kind of realizing the illogic of the situation, but still respecting his friend and that kind of thing. It was it was a really interesting dynamic here that, uh, you know, like like you said, we get a little bit of it in Star Trek Six, for example, after the briefing scene, the two of them talking back and forth. But I, I like that explore, exploration here. And I thought that was a really interesting tack to take. Yeah, I think the friend part is the is important because they they they're at odds, but yet they're not in in great disagreement. They respect mm-hmm. one another to the point that you know when when Spock wants to help the Klingons and say this is what we should be doing, and Kirk's like, I don't think so, but you know what, I'll I'll support you on this. I'll be behind you on it. We'll see how it goes. So there is a, a lot of respect and friendship in there, and they're not just at odds and fighting each other about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and and one of the things that is nice too is that I think it leads uh, into six as well in the way in which I think Spock always sees the best in his friend, and I feel like he believes that Kirk will find a way to get past it one day. I think he sees that. Uh, and I got the feeling in in this bit of story in the 23rd century that Spock is almost by the end of of where we leave them there. He he's okay with where Kirk is. He realizes it's just going to take some more time. You know, he, he like you were saying, Dan. He's he's understanding that it's not logical, but there's nothing you can do about that with what Kirk's going through. There's no logic to fix that. And that it's going to take some time. And I think it's it's great. And to me, it makes that resolution, you know, where uh, Kirk is, is able to say to Azadbor, you know, it, you've restored the faith of my son, you know. Uh, and that makes for an even more moving scene, I think, when you realize just how much Kirk has gone through. You know, I mean, we don't really think about it all that much, but he's the son that he probably would have loved to have had more involvement in but he didn't and now he'll never have that and so there's nothing but regret and uh frustration on his own side and you know so it's i just i really thought that john found a way to make that so real in the story and and it just it it really worked and it made a real joy to be in the 23rd century with john writing them so Here's my pitch pocket. Please let John write some more stories in the 23rd century with this movie crew. I think he's earned it. It's it's really good stuff. Um, now, I thought it was funny that there was this wonderful, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I felt like there's just a great uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference in here that the whole thing starts off with in the 24th century we just really want to create a hyperspace bypass uh, between a section of the Klingon Empire. Uh, and if you had been paying attention, uh, it's it's been on file for the longest time. Uh, so <laughs> we're just going to have to destroy your planet. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, really was that the Klingon Empire, the Federation, uh, basically the Kittimer Accord members and the Typhon Pact members were going to come together at a summit to talk about creating basically a hyperspace bypass, uh, space freeway, <laughs> <laughs> where traffic could flow because the the Klingon Empire, where it's situated, uh, now is almost surrounded uh, because there are Federation members on the other side of their empire. You have the Typhon Pact on the other side, you know. So to create more movement, trade, and all of that. Uh, they're wanting to open the borders. And I just thought it was interesting because what Korg is going to do later in the story is want to basically find a way to block this. And again, he's his goal is to return the Klingons to the old ways and almost to regress them back to being nothing but, you know, savage conquerors. And I just thought... Really, really interesting political commentary mm-hmm. thoughts. You know, I, I feel like Korg, if he had said that he wanted to make Kronos great again, um, 
that's what would have come out of his mouth. <laughs> so I just thought this was really interesting stuff. And it's done really well because it's it's not all one for one. It just raises great issues. Well, in the high at the super highway he wants to build, I think he also said he wanted to build a wall, right? To keep the Federation. Yeah, a great space wall. Yeah, yeah. keep the Federation out, people from, you know, because everybody's trying to get into the Empire, right? I'd probably make the Federation the neutral zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're going to pay for that neutral zone. We're we're reestablishing the neutral zone and you're going to pay for it. No, that's that's actually it it really was really interesting because I think it, it just created Korg has this idea of what he thinks Klingons have lost and what they've become. And as when we talked to John, he's saying he hates this idea that and that Krug would never have approved of this. And yet at the same time is it really so bad with the Klingons has come like Klingons like Martok, who we hold in high regard, we look to, you know, uh, that they're working closer with, they become allies with the Federation and those kind of things. Like that's the whole idea of societal progress or regression. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the, that's the battle here. And it's, it's not, it's not just like which one is better it's like how do you honor tradition but also move forward and and that's the the clash of you know civilizations that's going on inside the klingon empire yeah and i just i thought that was really fascinating it made the klingon empire feel so much more alive to me it really is um you know nostalgia run amok basically this idea of returning to the good old days well you know everybody has an idea in their mind of what the good old days were uh, whether it's the fictional world of Star Trek and the Klingons or real life. And, you know, maybe, you know, the good old days weren't necessarily so good. I mean, you know, everybody has this really idealized picture of what the past was. And for Korg, it's the neutral zone. Federation and the Klingons at each other's throats. And, you know, never the twain shall meet because, you know, we're enemies. We should always be enemies and that's that. And, you know... Those days weren't so good necessarily. You know, there's lots of reasons why things have progressed past that now. And, you know, he's a relic of an old time that, you know, had its day and deserves to move on. There's a line in the book, and I don't have it in front of me, but I remember uh, there was something that they referenced Kalis had said about Klingons being independent. And I think that's the direction that, that, Korg is is looking at this and he's saying that, you know, the Federation has gotten more powerful in his mind. That's, you know, their expansion and taking more planets into the Federation means they're becoming more powerful as the Klingon Empire just continues to stay where it is or maybe even shrinks a little. And so they're they've become soft. And I think in his mind, they look he looks at the Klingons as as, as becoming weaker and. It's not that the Federation is taking over the Klingons, but the Klingons aren't standing up to be a power anymore. And he he seems to really want to emphasize that we have to get back to those roots of standing on our own and not leaning on the Federation and not being so passive to whatever the Federation wants to do and we're going to go along with it. We need to be independent and stand on our own and do our own thing and stop letting the Federation walk all over us. And I feel like that that led me to really get into the Klingons in this book because, in a lot of ways, I, I, as I'm reading us, I'm thinking, yeah, they're they're kind of they are a little softer than what they used to be. And wouldn't it be interesting if we're taking this into a new era where the Klingons become really vicious and and powerful once again, and and maybe they're maybe part half of the Klingons are fighting the Federation and the other half of the Klingons are fighting the other Klingons for fighting the Federation. I mean, this could get really interesting. So I I'm really curious to know where this goes in the next couple books. Well, one of the things that was really interesting as well is the conversation that uh, Worf is talking to a character who is pretending, and we'll get to that in a second, to be Krug. And he says that the reason that he took over this unsung as they call them this unsung cult these uh, these discommendated klingons he came in he took over for their leader potok he says of what potok had done to these people 
He stripped the very names from these people, causing them to wallow in their disgrace. He doused the fire inside them that separates Klingons from lesser beings. And this is the thing that was so interesting to me about what this false Krug is saying and what Korg believes is in Klingon exceptionalism and superiority. It's that same exact thing that you see in any fascist. And that's what I thought was really interesting is that's what they believe that Klingons have lost, that inherent superiority that you saw in Klingons in the original series, that we are better than everybody else. That's why we go out and conquer them. And I think that was really fascinating because it's a it's just a historical thing. Anytime that you find a way to put yourself above other people and say that I am superior to them, I'm better than them, you allow yourself to be able to do horrible things to other people. Um, you know, whenever you can rename somebody or rename something to make you be able to do something horrible to it, whether, you know, it's it's calling them deplorables or what, what you might want to do to the Jews, calling them different names so you can make them less than human. Jeez, I, there's so many different ways that this can go. We've seen it in history, and that's exactly what these Klingons are saying has been lost. And it's it's just a great thing to be reminded of how we go down this kind of road. Mm-hmm. And something that to me is really interesting, like any good fascist, uh, Korg has this idealized vision of what Klingons should be. And yet he himself falls so far short of those ideals. So, for example, he's enacting this plan, you know, to return honor to the Klingon Empire and and have them, you know, stand up to the Federation and stuff. But he is himself employing extremely dishonorable means to meet his goals. So, for example, um, right now I'm rewatching Deep Space Nine uh, with a friend of mine who's never seen it, and we just watched the episode The House of Quark. And in that episode, there's a Klingon who's trying to amass wealth for his family through manipulating um, ledgers and, and, and accounting and that sort of thing, and Quark uncovers that, and Gowron declares it dishonorable and has him discommendated and stuff. And this convoluted plan of Korg's using deception and deceit and, uh, you know, dishonorable killings and that kind of thing uh, has exploited the weaknesses of the Empire uh, in a really dishonorable way. So, you know, it's it's really interesting that this happens over and over and over again in history where, you know, you create this idealized version and have a bunch of people follow it, but the leader is, you know, it's an idealized version that nobody can achieve. And least of all the leader who uses awful, awful dishonorable means to get to meet his goals, basically. Yeah. I mean, Voldemort's part muggle Mm -hmm. Hitler's part Jewish. I mean, it just, the list goes on and on. John Frederick Paxton used alien research to overcome a disease. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the thing that's so interesting and, I think it it's interesting because uh, it is a bastardization of everything that Klingons are supposed to truly believe. Because here's the quote you were thinking of, Bruce. Uh, Worf says to Philandris, he says, You are Klingons. You need no one but yourselves. That's what the original Kalos is supposed to have said. Not the clone, but the original Kalos in his original writings. And so that Klingons need no one but themselves. Uh, And so that's where it's not about Klingons being better. It's about Klingons not needing other people. Basically, it's almost like exceptionalism, but like American exceptionalism, where it's like you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Klingons pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They need no one but themselves. Uh, And I think that's, that's a really fascinating... And then... The way, like you're saying, Dan, the way in which you twist that, and that's what we're seeing here too, is it's it's um, it's a twisting of everything. It's a twisting of the Klingon religion. It's a twisting of 
uh, Klingon honor. It's a twisting of all of these things just enough because it sounds like it's coming from the angel of light, but really it's coming from the angel of darkness. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting, too, that ideal of Klingons need no one but themselves, which, you know, kind of makes me wonder, what is Korg's ultimate goal? He kind of lists off a few things towards the end of this book. Uh, he talks about maybe joining the Typhon Pact, maybe one day leading the Typhon Pact as the Klingon Empire, which is which is interesting. You know, again, that's kind of going against what he's been saying, that, you know, Klingons need to stand apart and be on their own. But, you know, his actions don't really match his rhetoric, which is, feels very familiar. Well, and it, it's funny because when you think about it, let's be fair and balanced. Most politicians sound like this. Absolutely. <laughs> like, uh, just just look at, I, we'll just be honest blatantly. If you look at the American re- election right now, no matter what side you're on, they're both saying things that they don't, aren't true that that don't live up you know they're not living up to their hype uh they're not living up to their words and i think that's the danger you know here is that putting any one group or people or person above another and saying oh like oh they're the the savior like that when it's just a fallible being yeah this is what's so interesting so i i, I really I really like this. And another thing that really struck me, that, and this was really new for Star Trek, was this illusionist. What did you guys think about this character? Because this is something that I don't think Star Trek's ever done before. Well, this is something that, you know, when, when this guy shows up in the book, the book ter- takes, you know, to my mind, a hard left turn. Like, I didn't see this coming. Uh, first of all, I do have to say, I, I was really worried they were that this was actually going to be Krug somehow still alive. And I'm really glad yeah. it took them about five <laughs> pages to reveal that that's not the case. I was okay, good. Cause that would have been just a bridge too far. So yeah, it's this illusionist, uh, Betazoid who's kind of, uh, a huckster, uh, you know, great and powerful Oz type who's, you know, just, you know, this guy who's, uh, creating all these illusions and posing as Krug now, I thought it was really interesting that we kind of have seen a character like this before, um, Ardra, in the episode Devil's Do, who he actually referenced in the book, which I thought was really neat. You know, using all this technology to create the illusion of magic, you know, bringing in some other sci-fi geekery, uh, kind of like the techno-mages on Babylon 5, you know, they use all this technology to give the appearance of magic. I thought that was really cool. It really... Uh, it it gave the story a twist that I, I honestly did not see coming at all. This kind of huckster character who, you know, let's admit it also adds a splash of color to the story because this guy seems kind of interesting. He's got his own little plan too, it seems. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes. So yeah, definitely an interesting angle for the story. When Krug showed up, I was the same way. I I was like, oh gosh, no, please. This makes no sense. How could he have survived when he fought Kirk and he fell down the cliff and into the lava? We even saw the lava kind of explode like he burnt. And then there was, well, you know, maybe he had a second bird of prey there that beamed him up. And I was like, oh no. And I thought, I can't believe John Jackson Miller is going this route. I'm like, now I'm starting to get really disappointed. But but (laughs) Worf wasn't believing what he was hearing and i was like okay this is a good sign because if Worf's not believing it then the author is telling us that we probably shouldn't believe this either because Worf has his doubts too and, like and i you love said, that he didn't believe him from the beginning i yeah, love he's that like, he still he nope. never believed him ah, there's <laughs> something going on behind this and i was so glad and then yeah the twist and, and it's a, a betazoid that's doing this and i'm like okay this is really interesting it is different we haven't seen anything quite like that before I I liked it because also knowing that Krug, it really isn't Krug. When he is Krug, he looks and sounds like Krug. So it's kind of fun to see Krug having interplay in the 24th century, even though it isn't really him. But to hear Christopher Lloyd's voice in my head talking <laughs> with these yeah. characters really makes it a lot of fun. So it's you're kind of getting the 
best of both worlds. He's back, but he's not really back. So I I like that a lot. That was fun. I did like when he said, oh, it kind of hurts my throat to do that guy's voice. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, yeah, it would, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> does he have like golem juice, you know? You like have to make his, his voice like that? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I was right there with you guys because I remember I almost messaged both of you and was like, crew, what? And then I was like, I'll just keep reading because I'm sure it's not really him. And of course, like you guys are saying, it's like a few pages later and you're like, okay. Oh, okay. That makes much more sense. But then I was also thinking back ahead. Okay. So could that have happened? Could, I mean, he's got this phantom wing, you know, of these Klingon ships. They're more advanced. Their cloaking devices are more advanced. Much more in line, kind of, with Chang's uh, Bird of Prey and Star Trek Six. That's what we're kind of talking about. So, yeah, okay, that I I can I can buy it. You know, it's it's Star Trek. You know, Spock can come back from the dead. Fine, we can you know have saved Krug as he fell off the cliff and you know whatever. So, but glad John Jackson Miller didn't go that way. And I think this does add a really interesting element to the story because what, what was fascinating to see was the way in which this illusionist has found his way in with Korg, who doesn't realize that this illusionist has his own idea of what he's going to do with the Klingon Empire. And so you have two different people here who have two different plans, and basically all the excrement from Klingon is about to hit the fan uh, and it's it's not going to be good because both of these guys' plans are bad. But it could also I I also see the fact that there being two of them is somehow going to be their undoing. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's interesting as well. So, um, yeah, no, I really the story is really interesting because there's just so much going on. But I also liked the way in which. Again, a story is kind of touching on uh, an interesting aspect of the way in which media is used, the way in which we use recordings, and to craft a narrative that's not true. Mm -hmm. Using a false narrative, but using it as the truth to build you know, yourself up. And I just, I thought that was a, uh, it's a very small part of the story, but it was also fascinating to me. And so it was just another way in which Miller was subtly commenting on a lot of stuff that goes on in our world. It's not huge, but it's there. And it just kind of like, oh, you recognize it. And you're like, yep, that's pretty much what happens. Yeah, it was, like you said, it was a minor part of the story, but I did definitely take note, you know, all the times that the author was talking about public perception and the media. And then of course the recording that, uh, Korg produces, you know, quote unquote, proving that he's the heir of Krug. Uh, it, it was really interesting to kind of see that play out and, and how that perception gets crafted. Yeah. And how they, I mean, I know we talk spoilers here, but I really don't feel like I want to call this out. But, you know, the thing that they, the, the play that the unsung make that this video goes out to all the Klingon Empire. They see this event that's kind of devastating happen. Uh, again, it's like a viral video going out. It's like using the media to for your agenda. And, you know, Riker's there and, and Riker sees something and into this video that, you know, gives him a hint of something. And I, again, I don't want to get into details of that, but I did I did enjoy that aspect of it that, you know, that... They're really manipulating the Klingons to get their way, which, again, is coming up in the other books, exactly how that's going to play out. This story just came out, and and obviously we've talked about a lot of it, a lot of the themes and everything, but there are things in here we just don't want to give away to everyone. I mean, we don't want to spoil the book completely rotten if you haven't read it. And if you have read it, you know what we're talking about. So, uh, But I think it, it's a great time to kind of get your opinion, your rating for Hell's Heart as we start this epic Prey trilogy. This is, I, I feel like I say this almost every time I go to rate something, this is a tough one to rate uh, because, first of all, it is just the first part of a three-part story. 
Uh, and I'm really curious to see where it goes from here, which I guess speaks a lot to how much I enjoyed the book. There's a lot of really great themes, a lot of interesting parallels to real life, you know, everything that a Star Trek story should be. And I, I do love how it delves into the Klingon culture, which, you know, we've seen before, but not quite done in this in this way, which I thought was really interesting and unique. You know, it's it's... I kind of have to agree with you, Matt. It's definitely one of the top books that I've read this year. So with that in mind, I think I have to give it five out of five experimental top-of-the-line Klingon Birds of Prey. Wow. I didn't expect that. I'm thinking, I want to say a five out of five, but a lot of times I don't like to do that for the first book of a series just because I feel like I'm hoping that the next book is even going to be better. But... I, I did dock it a couple points because I thought that there could have been some more opportunities to take this a little further. Uh, but I think there was a cop out and I'm only and I, again, I don't want to go in details, but I think it's because, you know, this is a tie in book and there's only certain things that are allowed. So if a character dies, then I was hoping that character actually stays dead because I think it brings more drama as opposed to finding out that character may not be dead. Or that if there's members of the crew that are in jeopardy and looks like they're going to die, but they don't die. And it's not that I want everybody to die, but I just felt like there was opportunities there to really ratchet up the drama and make this a deeper emotional story for the Federation and not just the Klingons. I know I'm dancing around that without giving out too much information, but so I'm going to give this not a full house but I'm going to give this in my cards. I'm going to give it uh, a flush. Oh, so Bruce wants everyone to die. We're better be know. careful. We'll start calling you David Mack. <laughs> I, well, I, as I was saying that, I'm thinking, uh, I'm kind of talking like a David Mack thing. Right now, aren't I? <laughs> but I don't know. Full house beats a flush, right? So that's why I want a flush. I'm giving it a flush, not a full house. I, I really do like this book. I think it's really good. I'm, I'm with you, Bruce. Yeah, I, I couldn't give it a five just because, you know, it, I think uh, we would probably um, get some than else in the next two books that'll probably really be at that rating. And I do have to say, I think, though, for me, this book is 4.5 out of 5 not-so-Krug-Krugs. So, because, so, I, yeah, I really I really enjoy this series uh, so far. And, and what I'm liking about it, I think, uh, the most is, I think, the largeness and the scale and the scope. Um, I kind of like that because it's Klingons. It feels melodramatic, uh, like a you know a kind of a Shakespeare play. Uh, it feels over the top and bombastic, you know. And I just I really like that. I think that might be missing from some of the things that we've gotten recently. And this just feels like it's taking some risk uh, with with the Star Trek story, with the Star Trek universe. And that's fun to me. I just, I feel like we're having fun as well. And that's exciting. So I, I can't wait to read The Jackal's Trick and The Hall of Heroes, which is just, I think they are, they'll be just as fantastic. Well, I think this book series is off to a really good start based on our comments. So it's really going to be fascinating, as a certain Vulcan says to see where these next two books go. And I'm glad that they're just a month apart each. So it's going to be just a few weeks from now that we're going to be reading book two and uh, take it to the next level. Yeah, I feel like it's really telling, you know, how excited I am for the next book. I, I really do want to see what happens next. So, you know, it's a bit of a testament to how enjoyable this one was for sure. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you guys. I, I think that this book uh, was a great start to the series. Let's just put it that way. Uh, you know, what we talked about with the, the Legacy series, I think this one's really set it uh, on a nice footing to build upon. And uh, I think John uh, will definitely give us something that we uh, really excited that we got a chance to read. And a really great way to end Star Trek's 50th anniversary, which is so exciting. I think... That's the thing for me. I'm really glad that they took this risk. They gave John this opportunity 
to tell a really massive story uh, in the 24th century universe and tie it to the 23rd century. And it all just feels like, you know, we're celebrating. I mean, like to bring in the whole idea of kind of creating a undiscovered country kind of feel for the 24th century. Well, that was the 25th anniversary of Star Trek was the undiscovered country. And so the, the whole, I just, it feels monumental. It feels fun. So I'm just really glad we get a chance to talk about this. Thank you so much to our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shamatola, Bruce Gibson, and Norman Lau. I really appreciate you guys making sure that all of this content here at Trek FN can keep coming to you each and every week. And the way in which they've done that is they have gone to patreon.com slash trek.fm and they've seen that, uh, well, there's just no way that we can keep all the shows keep coming to you each and every week by ourselves. It's just too big and we need your support. And every every little bit helps. It doesn't have to be a lot. Just every little bit helps. So go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can become part of the team We've got some great goals that we're trying to reach. We can really bring the network to the next level, but we can only do it with your help. And so we hope that you will want to do that at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Dan, when you're not uh, running through the muck and the mire trying to take on dragon-like creatures while, you know, saving the galaxy, where can we find you? Well, I'm pausing to take some really cool pictures of those creatures on Instagram with a really sweet sepia filter. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. My username there is Kurtrats47. I'm also on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's spelled K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on Facebook.com slash Productions and on YouTube.com slash Productions. Uh, Bruce, when you're not desperately flashing the ace of clubs at the camera to Matt and I trying to tell us, I, I don't know, something, uh, where can we find you? What I'm trying to do with those cards is show you where I'm located. And right now I'm located in Matthew's hallway. But if I'm not in his hallway, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me talking Star Wars occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast, where I'm a producer of that show. And uh, then occasionally, you know, on the 602 Club, you know, I pop in there every once in a while, too, especially if it's Star Wars related stuff. Well, you can also find me on Twitter at MattRushing02, and I'm on Instagram at MRushing. I'm on here with the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine, and of course uh, I do the general geek show, The 602 Club, which uh, is so much fun. I hope everybody will check that out. We talk about a great new geeky movie or TV show or something like that. Star Wars, we do a lot of that. It's going to be some fun Star Wars stuff coming up. Uh, so check out The 602 Club and Star Wars, The 602 Club Collection. You can find both of those on iTunes. They're different features. Uh, of course you can also find all the star wars shows in the 602 club as well the main feed but you know just if you're only a star wars fan uh, you can find them all in one place uh, you can also find me doing more star wars with john mills over on the nerd party network at the nerdparty.com and we do aggressive negotiations which you can also find on itunes so check that out it's so much fun i love talking star wars with john each and every week thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.